tombs and treasures, texts and tells. You're listening to The Dirt with Dr. Dave. Digging through the archaeology, the history, the sacred stories of the ancient Near East will uncover a past that you never knew before. Get ready for The Dirt. Welcome to The Dirt. I'm your host, Dr. David Maltzberger. Hey, I want to say thanks for taking a chance on episode one of my new podcast. It's an opportunity for you to discover some of the newest research and finds in archaeology and ancient history across the Near East. Now, that'll include everything from Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey. Well, we'll even throw in Greece and Rome if things get exciting. So how's that? Now, it's not just about the text of the Hebrew or Christian scriptures, the Bible, but it does include them. And, of course, we can venture into any sacred text from the ancient world, from the wisdom of Amenhotep in Egypt to the Epic of Gilgamesh from Mesopotamia. But modern excavation and researches bring to light a lot of material each and every week. And here on The Dirt, we're going to try to keep you updated with some of the most interesting things going on. I can't promise you any aliens or conspiracy theories, but I do hope that you'll finish each and every week by saying, Wow, that was pretty cool. I didn't know that. So, let's go ahead and get started and dig into what we can uncover. Earlier this week, I had uh, the opportunity to spend some time going to have a signature notarized. Now, most of us have done that before. It's one of the ways here in the modern world that we authenticate the who of a legal or business transaction. And our signatures sort of represent our individual personhood, don't they? So the question arises is, how did people in the ancient world authenticate and sign their transactions? I mean, what were the methods of their official and individual signatures? Today on The Dirt, I'd like us to look at two quite small finds from recent excavations in ancient Jerusalem that are going to help us to understand signing ancient documents. And while the items themselves are small, their stories are rather impressive. In fact, both of them have at least some relationship to the text of what we call the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament. So what are we exploring? Well, we want to look at two small inscriptions. One is an ancient stone seal, and the other is a burned and preserved impression left behind by another seal. Both of them have a story to tell, and if we're going to understand their importance, maybe we need to look at a little backstory. Now, you can take a look at this week's postings on our website, thedirtwithdrdave.com, if you'd like to check out a few pictures of the two items that we're discussing. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of seals in the ancient world. You know, the rise of popularity of seal usage in the ancient Near East really preceded the development of writing, maybe by about 500 years. Writing developed about 3500 B.C., so maybe sometime around 4000 B.C.E., the earliest seal impressions were created. Now, these were pressed into hollow clay balls that contained small tokens denoting various merchandise that were probably used as tallies in commercial transactions. So, for example, each sheep that walked into a pen, you dropped a token into the hollow ball as a counter, and then the impression of the seal validated the count of the tokens inside the ball. Other early seal impressions have been found on 
clay jar stoppers, and they denoted the ownership of the goods or materials sealed within the jar itself. So it was sort of a way of saying, this is my stuff. Now, seals didn't only function in an economic realm. Some people believed in the magical quality of these seals, and it prompted them to seal certain jars or jugs uh, with a magical safeguard over the materials inside. So what did seals look like? Well, the face of a seal was engraved with a small mirror image of the desired impression that would appear once it was stamped. Often a wild animal like a gazelle or a lion or maybe a bird like an eagle was pictured on the seal to denote the unique ownership or authenticity of the seal. Seals have also been found in Mesopotamia that featured human figurines. Some of them have scorpions or fish or stars, the moon, or even the gods themselves. Now, because seals were relatively small, the engraved figures were originally rather simple in their execution. They became more complex and ornate as artists' skills and technological methods of engraving improved over the years. So, stamp seals were most often a conical stone with a carved base, and they're the earliest known forms of seals. But as the decades of seal usage passed, a new artistic and effective means of seal making arose, and this was the cylinder seal. The development of the first cylinder seals during the early Bronze Age, and that's a little bit after 3300 BCE or so, these seals began to appear and seem to have been the result of a technological marriage between the earlier stamped seals and even earlier cylindrical beads. So somebody had the great idea of turning a bead into a seal that could be rolled instead of stamped. Now, though they could be a little bit taller, cylinder seals were generally about an inch and a half long, maybe four to five or six centimeters, and they were about as thick as a pencil. So envision a pencil stub, if you will. They were drilled from the top all the way through the shaft at the bottom, and so they could be threaded onto a cord and worn by their owners. The use of cylinder seals took hold and became more popular in Mesopotamia after the third millennium, and stamp seals continued to be more popular in Egypt and Palestine. In Egypt, a common style of the seal is very familiar to you, and that's the scarab seal. It's carved in the shape of the body of a dung beetle, and it's flat on the bottom. Now, some of these could be quite large, the size of your hand, for example, but most were about the size of the end of your thumb. While most seals were cut of stone, others have been found that had been cut from wood or bone or even from ivory. Now, we've mentioned that the function of ancient seals, whether cylinder seals or scarabs, has generally been divided into two groups, bureaucratic or personal. Bureaucracies love keeping records, and the seal is a in the bureaucratic realm uh, functioned for political or legal purposes. They sealed law codes. They sealed public contractual agreements, the sale and purchase of government holdings, or they served as a mark to certify the quality or the quantity of a container's contents. Bureaucratic seals also commemorated important political events like a marriage or the signing of an international treaty. Sometimes public or royal possessions were sealed by representatives of the king to denote 
princely ownership. Non-bureaucratic seals witness private business transactions like sales, purchases, contractual agreements, even letters, wills, and documents that attest to the adoption of one individual by another. You can see that seals were not just owned by government functionaries or wealthy merchants. Anyone who might have need of preserving a transaction like the sale of a piece of property likely owned a seal. These personal seals were often worn as jewelry until needed, or maybe as a magic amulet, sort of like a lucky rabbit's foot. They could be worn on a cord, or they could be worn as a ring. They could be passed down through the generations, and the image may have served much like a family crest, going from father to son. Seals accompanying burials have been given, perhaps, by relatives as a gift for the deceased to use in the afterlife, or maybe as a prayer to help speed the deceased on their way through the underworld. From the beginning in the 4th millennium BCE, seals continued as important authenticators of ownership or transactions all across the centuries. So it's not uncommon to find both stamp and cylinder seals in excavations throughout the Near East. Some of my earliest work involved the study of cylinder seals and scarabs that we uncovered during 12 seasons of excavation at Biblical Timnah in Israel's Sorek Valley. Those seals from 14th century Canaan detailed both the long-distance trade relationships of the town with Egypt and Crete, as well as highlighting the development of local artistic styles. Most recently, seals and the surviving impressions of seals have come to light in the excavation of the ancient city of Jerusalem. Digging in levels related to the years of the divided monarchy following Israel's separation from Judah and the Davidic kingdom, archaeologists have uncovered seals that remind us what the book of Job says, that the earth takes shape like clay under a seal. And that introduction brings us to our dirt on the two inscriptions I mentioned earlier. Both of them were found in Jerusalem in the excavation in the, of the City of David's Givadi parking lot. Now, City of David is the name that we give to the original settlement of the ancient city under the Israelites. It's the part of the town that formed the original capital of ancient Israel and then of the kingdom of Judah following the death of Solomon in about 931 BCE. It was here that the remains of large stone walls, some burned wooden beams, and numerous charred pottery sherds have borne evidence of a great fire that destroyed the city at the beginning of the 6th century BCE, following the Babylonian conquest of Nebuchadnezzar. Excavating the remains of a large public building from this destruction in 586, archaeologists working under dig director Yuval Gadot of Tel Aviv University and Dr. Yitav Shalevov of the Israel Antiquities Authority recovered a small blue agate seal inscribed in two panels, an upper and a lower section that was separated by a line. Now, there was no picture on this seal. It was an iconic, but the stone bears the inscription belonging to Ikar, the son of Matanyahu. Now, in the Bible, uh, in English, Matanyahu is Mataniah, and the name means gift of Yah or gift of Yahweh, which was the personal name of Israel's God. The owner's own name 
Ikar literally means farmer or plowman, but it can be a first name too. So, this seal belonged to the son of an unknown Jerusalemite named Ikar, who was the son of an equally unknown Matanyahu. Several earlier seal discoveries mention the name Matanyahu, but this is the first that's had the son of a person of that name on it. So this blue stone seal had possibly been worn as a ring by its owner. It's a stamp seal, not a cylinder seal. Make sure you take the opportunity to go to the dirt with drdave.com and take a look at a photo of this seal that was provided by the Israel Antiquities Authority. The second find possesses an even closer connection to the ancient biblical story. This find is a small clay bula. Now, a bula is a small clay impression left behind by the stamping of a seal into a little ball of clay. They generally were placed over the tied strings that held a papyrus document closed, and the bula authenticated the contents. In a fire, the organic material of the papyrus would be consumed and we'd lose the document along with the string that tied it. But the clay seal impression would be baked in the fire and preserved for the archaeologists to uncover later. In fact, there have been hundreds of biblical-era bulae which have been found to date. This small bula, smaller than the ball of your finger, bears the statement, belonging to Nathan Melek, servant of the king. Now, what's so special about Nathan Melek, the king's servant? His name means, the king has given, and it likely refers that the bearer of the seal is a gift of the heavenly king, Yahweh. So, Nathan Melek means gift of God in some respect. The Bible in 2 Kings 23.11 mentions someone by this very name. In the passage, he's described as an official of the court of King Josiah, and he took part in the religious reform that the king was implementing. King Josiah ruled from 640 to 610 BCE, uh, about 25 years or so. The Bible states, And he took away the horses that the king of Judah had given to the son at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Natan Melech the officer, which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Servant of the king, which in Hebrew is Evid HaMelech, appears in the Bible to describe a high-ranking official close to the king. Maybe he was a eunuch, but definitely a high official. So if you're a Game of Thrones fan, picture Varus, that bald-headed counselor. Here we have a seal that mentions the very name and title that the writer of Second Kings describes in the restoration of the worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem's temple during the year 621. So, is this the seal impression of that same individual mentioned in the Bible? Well, we can't really say with certainty. The events described in Second Kings occurred about 35 years before the city was destroyed in 586. But 
This bula may have sealed a document that was deposited in archives during that time and then survived up until the destruction of the city. Or the seal may have been passed down to a descendant who later used it. It does seem likely that the biblical character and the owner of the seal that archaeologists have uncovered are related to one another. This connection between the two is echoed by Christopher Rolston of George Washington University. Chris is a well-known epigrapher, and he examined the Hebrew of the Bula and affirmed that he considered the style of writing to date to the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th century. Chris wrote online in his blog that he's entirely comfortable considering it most likely or virtually certain that 2 Kings 23.11 and this Bula refer to the same person. Very interestingly, Chris reminds his readers of another exact copy of this Bula that was published several years ago, but not found under secure and certain archaeological circumstances. That find suggests that there were a number of documents sealed by this character, Nathan Melek, and they were stored in Jerusalem at the time that the city was destroyed by the Babylonians. This small seal impression carries evidence of the author's unique and special signature, just as a contract today, notarized at your local bank, is evidence of your signature. So there you have it. Two seal-related finds over the past couple of weeks discovered in Jerusalem that point us to the history of ancient Judah. You never know what treasures the archaeologist Spade is going to uncover in the soil of the ancient Near East, but whatever they find, you can be sure it's going to be revealed here on the dirt. And so with that, we'll end this first episode of our new podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you discovered something that you can sift from the remains of the ages. I look forward to speaking with you again next week. We plan to climb up out of the dirt and onto the large freestanding columns of the Byzantine period as we talk with my colleague, Dr. Daniel Browning Jr., about his research into the early stylite monks who not only sat on top of columns, but also lived on top of them to avoid the troubles of this world. So be sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us at www.thedirtwithdrdave.com. And until next time, keep digging. The Dirt with Dr. Dave podcast is written, recorded, and shoveled to you by yours truly, David Maltzberger. Any errors, omissions, mistakes, or unintentional conjuring of ancient Assyrian demons is my own darned fault. Our theme music was composed, performed, and recorded by Colin Tucker. You can subscribe to our podcast at www.thedirtwithdrdave.com.